Hear the word of the Lord as it is found in the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. There we begin to read the 13th chapter at the 17th verse. And please remember, God always blesses his word. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people round by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had solemnly sworn the people of Israel, saying, God will visit you, then you must carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Amen. And amen. It's about 200 miles from Egypt down here to Israel over there. Just 200 miles. Even in ancient biblical days, you could travel that distance on foot or camelback in about 10 days. Today you can do it in four hours by automobile, 32 minutes by jet. And yet it took the Israelites 40 years, 40 years to travel the 200 miles. And they were one of the first of the peoples to know that something that is very near can be very far away. That's a principle of life some of you are facing today, and you understand it and can identify with it. Something or someone who is very near can appear so far away. I've been talking to some of the unemployed. I'm talking about those eager ones, those well-trained ones, those ones that are able. And they tell me they've sent out dossiers, and they've been congratulated on how wonderfully equipped they have been in their education and in their training. They're promised all sorts of jobs. But they wait. The telephone does not ring. The postal person does not bring the right letter. And they know what it is. 
when something is near, but yet so far away. Young executives, we have many of them right here today, this morning. They know it as well as everybody else in the company. They're on the way up. They've been pretty well assured, as much as you can be assured in big business, that there's a position out there of high importance and honor. Somebody's even told them. And it's so close they can almost taste it. The wife's already spent the money that goes with the job. They put themselves to sleep at night dreaming of being in that office and sitting behind that big desk in that big chair. But they had the same dream last year and the one before that. It's so near, yet so far away. People who just know that their lives will be perfect if only they can get together with that person in the bonds of holy marriage. But things don't seem to work out, and that person who's very near might as well be far away. People who are sick. Now, they're not sick enough to be in bed, but they're sick, and they've gone to the best of doctors, take the finest of medicines, have been promised that someday they're going to be cured. And oh, how they try, and oh, how they pray. It seems so close, yet complete healing is so far away. We know the feeling, don't we? And you know what we do when the near seems so far away? We usually blame ourselves. That's why. That's why we're not closer to the promised land. We, we blame our own stubbornness, our stupidity, our sloth, our slowness. And those of us who don't blame ourselves, we usually put the blame on somebody else's sneakiness or slickness or lack of sincerity. That's why we're not at the promised land. I want you to notice that the Israelites put the responsibility on God. <laughs> not on themselves, not on those horrible Philistines, but on God. God, they said, the writer of the Exodus, God did not lead them through the Philistine country, which was near but round about. They interpreted their experience of knowing near as being far away as being caused by God. They said it was God who led them into the wilderness. And that's the idea that I want you to get now and take home with you when you go to contemplate why it is that your near seems so far away. Because you see, sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's not our stupidity or slowness or sinfulness. Sometimes it's not someone else's sneakiness or slickness. Sometimes it's God who keeps the near, far away. 
And then you would say to me, but hey, is not this God that we read about and see in Jesus Christ a God who loves us? That's right. Did not Jesus say that this God is like a father in heaven, a father who is even more anxious to give good gifts to his children than our earthly fathers here on earth? That's right. Well, why would God ever want to keep me away from my promised land? And that's an excellent question. And that's the one I'm trying to tackle here today. Three possibilities. Three. God sometimes keeps the near far away from us in order to protect us from problems that we cannot possibly perceive. God does this to protect us sometimes. To protect us from forces up there that we cannot possibly perceive. God knew the Israelites. But God knew also the Philistines. God knows you. But he knows also the world in which you live. God knew that the Israelites were many in number. He knew that they had their weapons with them. It says in the Bible they went up to do war. He knew that they had even the very bones of Joseph, their great ancestral leader, with them. But God also knew the might of the Philistines. And God kept the near far away for he knew that if the Israelites ever went against the Philistines, the Israelites would lose, they would retreat and go back and be in worse shape than they would be even when the near is far away. So God protected the Israelites by keeping the near far away. That's what he does in our lives. We prayed just a few minutes ago. I hope you haven't forgotten by this time. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that prayer and that sentence, whether or not you believed it, God heard you asking for his protection. And God protects us, you see, by keeping us away from things that tempt us. The forces of evil that if we yield to them, no matter how glorious they look, we will fail. God knows you. He created you. The Bible says he knows your frame. In other words, he knows what you're made of. He knows what you can take and what you cannot take, what you can endure and what you cannot endure. And if God wants you to be able to move forward, he keeps away those things that we cannot endure. That's the way it works. It's very simple. But most of us, you see, we think we know what is best. And we like that promised land. And because we live in the age of what some sociologist has called the age of the instantaneous, we want it today. You know, it used to be that our forefathers, if they missed a stagecoach, they thought, well, another one will be along in a week or two or a month. They missed an old ship. 
Well, they get it next year. We miss one section of a revolving door and we think our whole day is thrown into utter chaos. You ever know that? So in the near, it seems so far away. Instead of thinking of God protecting us, we think that God has forsaken us. We think that God hates us instead of understanding He's doing this out of love. When the near seems so far away, all we do is think about what we are missing and forget the problems that are missing us. We forget only those things that we will miss instead of those problems that have escaped us. I wish I could prove this, but I just can't because, you see, these are problems we cannot perceive. No one of us here on this side of death will ever fully know the number of times that we have been protected from death by God or from sickness or from problems or mental or physical, spiritual breakdown. We don't know how many times they've missed us. Several years ago when I was driving to Florida by myself, it's a long way to travel in an automobile with yourself. I was somewhere down in North Carolina. The day was late. Like always, I was in a hurry. And I remember on a road down there, I got in the passing lane and was passing an automobile that was in front of me and was really holding up traffic. And as I got alongside of that car, I couldn't help but look over and see that obviously that driver was intoxicated or at least was not capable of safely handling an automobile. So I did what anybody would do. I just pushed the accelerator a little bit further down to get out of there. Unfortunately, I got back into the proper lane of traffic, but I could not help but look in my rearview mirror. And as I did so, I saw a person who was following me attempt to follow that automobile that was crazily moving over the highway. And as I did so, I saw the two automobiles come together. And in my rearview mirror, I saw a horrible, tragic accident. By the time I got my automobile stopped and back to the scene, I was literally sick. I sought out the nearest motel after I'd done everything that I could. And that night I increased the stock of AT&T by I don't know how much many percent. I called back here. They must have thought I was nuts. I just told them I was all right. <laughs> I called my parents. I called my sister in Virginia. I called everybody I knew just to let them know I was all right because I was scared to death. Because I had seen for once in my life how close I personally had come to death. 
As I stand before you, just as you sit before me, no one of us can tell each other how many times we've been that close to death and we don't even know it. How close we have been to losing the mind and the spirit and our physical strength and we don't know it. But God knows it. For he protects us from problems that we cannot perceive. And the only way he can do that, though, is by keeping the near far away. That's one possibility. Second possibility is God keeps the near far away to prepare us for our prosperity. To prepare us for our prosperity. God knew the Israelites. He knew that they had been in captivity for centuries. He knew they had not only slave bodies, but slave minds. And he knew that if he brought them into the promised land unscratched, untried, they could do nothing but rattle around in their new existence and not enjoy the prosperity of the land flowing with milk and with honey. So God kept the near far away, and he let them wander in the wilderness, and he allowed them to get hurt, to make mistakes, to learn law. He enabled them to learn some of those intangible things in life, like trust and forgiveness and confidence and of knowing who they were. God was blessing them. But they thought he was cursing them. He was preparing them for the time when he would have them to be in the promised land. And they didn't understand that. That's one of the problems we have a hard time understanding. Too much too soon, you know, is the perfect formula for mediocrity and disaster. We can be people who do not know how to live in prosperity. Paul says, I know how to be abased and I know how to be abound. And the way you know how to do that is that you can live with plenty only if you have known what it is to live with want. Fifteen years ago, there appeared a book on the market that I had commented on from this pulpit. Five or six years ago, I mentioned it in a sermon. It's called The Banishing Adolescent. The thesis of that author 15 years ago was simply this, that parents, teachers, and preachers, in wanting to be very loving and supportive and generous to their children, were doing a very unwise an unkind thing. In wanting to get the children in a situation where they would not have to suffer and do without and go through some of the misery that their parents and grandparents went through, parents of those days were generously giving children entirely too much and trying to 
avoid having them face problems and decisions. They wanted to see the children excel and achieve and push them to such a place and at such a rate that they were robbing children of the most important thing in their child living lives, their adolescence. A place where they could make mistakes. A place where they could get hurt. A place where they could learn disappointment and defeat. A place where they could survive and still bounce back. A place to prepare them for a prosperous and a fluent society. That was 15 years ago. I remember when the book came out. Kids then who were 13 to 18 are today men and women who are 28 in their early 30s. And if you are one of those people or if you have been talking to those aged people You'll find that many of them are having trouble living in affluence and prosperity. And I cannot help but wonder when I hear one of those delegates speak or seek counseling, whether or not that author was right when we brought from far away the near and forgot that God keeps the near far away to prepare us for prosperity. Three, God keeps the near far away sometimes so that he can penetrate our personalities with his power and his presence. You realize the most difficult job God has in life is not to create a baby not to heal sickness, but to get you and me to realize that he's alive by the power of the presence of his spirit. He is here with us and he's leading us. That's the most difficult thing God has to get to do because for some reason or other we like to close our ears and our eyes and act like God is dead. Believe me, the easiest place God can teach us is in the wilderness. Look at the Israelites. They are people who found God not in Egypt nor in Israel, but in the wilderness. It was when they were searching for that near which was so far away that they learned how to live with God's law, how they realized God was tabernacling with them in the wilderness, how God was the one upon whom they had to be dependent to receive their daily bread, which was called manna. It was there that they realized that God is a spirit. Yes, as you people have sung, he's a spirit, and you must worship him in spirit and in truth. And as such, he's somewhat spooky and mysterious, and you must be willing to live on the edge of experience and excitement, realizing that he leads us by a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. God in his powerful Holy Spirit, you read it. Jesus said that Holy Spirit will come upon us and he will lead us and he will guide us and bring us into all truth. 
that he comes as a mysterious God and he speaks through the fire and through the light and through the still small voice of his person speaking to our souls. And God penetrates us best in the wilderness. Many, many stories are coming out about what happened at Camp David. I was sorry it didn't make the headlines in the newspapers or was in most of the news stories, but this past week was on the last page. Our president's personal national security counselor, Brunesky, Mr. Brunesky, said in about a 22-line column, that before Camp David meetings started, the three, Carter, Sadat, Dagan, were together in prayer. And then he said every day, most or all three of those people prayed. And it is his particular idea that that is why the peace, which has been so far away, now suddenly seems to be coming near in the Mideast. You see, when you know that God is near and has penetrated your person, it doesn't matter how far away the promises are. You know God is here. And you know that He is near. And with that, you learn the lesson that the near is the here, and that is God. I know not what promised lands God has placed before you, nor what goals you have in your hearts placed there by the Almighty. But I know this, sooner or later you're going to be detoured, delayed, or diverted. When that day comes, and for some of you it's today, please remember it may not be your fault nor due to the evil of someone else. It might just be God protecting, preparing, or penetrating you with himself. Amen. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for taking care of us even when we don't realize it. Take care of us now as we leave this place. And with that same cloud of smoke and pillar of light, lead us, lead us, O King Eternal, to our destinies, no matter how near or far away they might be. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.